Hey, church, how are you? Awesome to be with you here in this room. Greetings to our South Sanctuary Speedway, our online community. It's awesome to be with you. We're in this series where we're looking at the I am statements of Jesus. We're super radical, very scandalous, because he's basically saying seven different ways, I am God, which is absolutely in the minds of those who first hear it, heard it, blasphemous. And we're looking today at when he says, I am the good Shepherd, I'm just gonna tell you right out of the gate, here's, here's the question I'm gonna ask you at the end of our time. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I'm just gonna simply ask you, so who's shepherding you, really? All right, so be thinking about that. And you're like, wow, you just saved me a lot of time. We're done? Is that, is, that, is that the whole deal? That's basically the whole deal, but here's the problem. The problem is when we talk about sheep and shepherds, we really, we're not hip to that concept. We have no idea, really, most of us, what a shepherd is, what a shepherd does, much about sheep. How many of you, I'm just curious, let me just do a quick survey. How many of you, uh, you are in the medical field in some, in some nature? Doctor, right, for, you know, frontline responder, awesome. How many of you are attorneys or work in law and something like that? Okay, it's okay, you can raise your hand. We're a loving, <laughs> accepting place. It's okay. Uh, how many of you are shepherds? Oh, serious? Awesome. All right, we got, we got a couple. By and large, the fact that we are landlocked here in uh, suburbia, we don't quite know how to access the words when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And we don't know how to process when I say, so who's shepherding you? So we gotta unpack that. And here's why I know that. I know that because when we, like, when we study culture, we just see that shepherds are not revealed in our culture. How do we know that? Well, when you look at the March Madness brackets, how many of the mascots are shepherds? <laughs> Very few. What makes a good mascot? Somebody that's like tough and mean and gnarly and all that. In fact, let's look at a few mascots and you can cheer if the, any of these are your team or if they're still left, right? So you got your typical lions, tigers, and bears. Why? Because they're, sorry, Baylor, because they're just really, really, you know, uh, they're mean, they're, they're, they're fierce, they're fearsome, right? Then you got dogs. There's a lot of dogs. Right, you got the huskies in there, and then you've got some historical dogs like the volunteers. Then you got cats. Wait, 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 wait. Too many cats. You got lots of cats, right? Um, and, uh, and then you got birds. You got birds. So that's a really angry uh, blue jay. Blue jays are mean, by the way. That's why th that's that, right? And I think we just, did we skip one? Did we skip the peacock, right? Yeah, that one's sad. That one's very sad, right? And then, um, and then here's, here's a bird that might be of interest to, to some of us. This is, uh, did anybody... Does anybody know the name of this? No, no, yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, this is ibis, ibis, right? And um, there's, there's great ibis bread down the street. That's not to be confused with the ibis bird. What makes ibis bird famous? One is they're very communal. That's the good part. What's the other part? Not so good. They eat their own. They eat their young, right? So I, I just don't, I don't mean to judge or anything, but I, if I were picking a mascot, I wouldn't pick something like cannibalistic like that. So I don't know. Anyways, that, that bothers me. Anyways, then you got dragons. Why, do you, why would you have a mascot dragon? Because they breathe fire. Horned frog, which is weird. Uh, then you've got a spider, the Richmond spider. Spider's, you know, scary, bad. I had a friend just text me not too long ago, said I got bit by a spider, have to have surgery. You don't want a spider. That's why spiders are a mascot. Then you got your typical, like, pirate, right? You got your raider. And then, I don't know why you have that. I think that sh there should be a campaign against that. That's, why would you have a devil as a mascot? Explain that to me. I don't know. Like Coach K, don't like the mascot. Um, now, when you think about shepherds, the closest that you get is this, right here, the friar. And if you look closely, the friar is giving us the finger, is what it's doing. 
for obvious reasons. So all this to say, when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and when I'm gonna ask you who is shepherding you, we have maybe a soft kind of vision. We have kind of this veneer of sentimentality. And if there were a shepherd, it would look like this. That, that's not a scary mascot. Right, ah, who wants a mascot where you go, oh, that's so cute and cuddly. See, there are three obstacles that we have in our modern day to understanding sheep and shepherds. And the first one is when Jesus talked about sheep and, and shepherds, what they heard in their day was slingers. What we think of is precious moments. Now, what do I mean by slingers? Not swingers, slingers. Let's be really clear. All right, so back in that day, in, in the military, there were basically three forms of fighters. You had your archer, you had your infantry, and you had your slinger. The slinger is the one that carried a slingshot. What does a shepherd carry? Shepherd carries a stick and a slingshot. They are out in the wilderness. They live out there. They have to be prepared for any contingency, anything that might come their way. Robbers, thieves, wild beasts, you name it, they're ready because they are skilled with a slingshot. They are a slinger. And um, let it not be mistaken, that is super hardcore in a great book. Malcolm Gladwell, if you haven't read this, on David and Goliath, he does some research. How could David take down the giant Goliath with just a few smooth stones and a slingshot? And here's why. An experienced slinger could kill or seriously injure a target at a distance of up to 200 yards with a stone. That's, that's like twice as far as Patrick Mahomes can throw a football. This is crazy. And get this. The Romans even had a special set of tongs made just to remove stones that had been embedded in some poor soldier's body by a sling. Is that hardcore? Is that what you thought of when, we, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd? Somebody with a slingshot that can sling that sucker with precision for 200 yards? Does that change a little bit of possibly your view? I mean, like if you did 4-H or if you're like an Eagle Scout, that doesn't hold a candle to what a shepherd is. I mean, I think maybe the best um, comparison, modern day comp, would be a trucker today. The similarities are probably, I mean, truckers are hardcore, right? And they got cool hats, right? But they travel with their inventory like shepherds. They sleep with their inventory. Showers are a premium and they pack heat, man. So just, I don't know if that helps kind of reframe it for you. But when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, uh, suddenly that, that changes things for me. And who's shepherding you? All right, number two, the, the, the second obstacle is that when Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, they, in that time, in Jesus' day, they knew the backstory to what he was saying. And we kind of tend to think that we are the story. What do I mean by that? Well, in our kind of modern day context, we kind of forget that things came before us and things are coming after us. We are, and I think I'm making up a word, we're chronocentric. We're all just focused about us and our time in this moment in, in history. So when we come to the Bible, we, we look at something like John 10 and we just instantly go, well, what does this mean for me and how does this apply? But what were they thinking when Jesus first said it? What were they thinking when there was over, and still is, when there's 500 different references to sheep and to shepherds in the Bible? So rich with imagery about sheep and shepherds. What was going on? In the backstory, see, God is always weaving, and we know this, Westside, don't we? God's always weaving this redemptive story 
from way back then to the time of Jesus to uh, now, we are invited into this story that God is constantly weaving and redeeming until that day that he makes all things new. So let's go back into the story because I think it will completely unpack what Jesus was saying and what it means for you and for me. So of the 500 different references, I think what is echoing the loudest in the ears of, of those that are hearing it is Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel was a prophet from about 600 years before the time that Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna read a chunk out of Ezekiel 34. Then we're gonna go to the New Testament, read a chunk out of John. And I know uh, we're a soundbite culture, you know, at large. It's hard to stay engaged. I go, stay engaged here. This is really, really important. Ezekiel chapter 34, grab your old school Bible, grab your West Side app, and follow along. We're gonna start right at verse one. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel writes. Son of man, mark that, son of man, prophesy against the what? The shepherds of Israel, using shepherd uh, metaphor here. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So... They were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep, God says, my sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one, no one searched for them or looked for them. Now that's a serious critique. That is quite a polemic against who? The religious leaders 600 years before the time of Jesus. So what does God say as we continue in Isaiah 34? What's his solution? Verse 15. I myself then will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Now how will we do it? How will we do it? Let's, let's jump to verse 23. By the way, if you have time, just go read the whole passage. It's so rich. He goes, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. He's talking now about the messianic line of David. Somebody's gonna come from the ancestral line of David and he's gonna be that shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, Everyone sitting around there, they're thinking, okay, the Lord is my shepherd. They're thinking Psalm 23. They're thinking of all these different other shepherds. But I think the loudest thing screaming to them is where God, through Ezekiel, brings this scathing critique. You are supposed to be the shepherds of my flock, my sheep, and you're dropping the ball. Worse than that, you're brutally treating them harshly. So what's my solution? I'll do it. Because I love them and I care for them. How will I do it? I will select one shepherd from the line of David to do it. All right, that's the backstory. You ready for the story that Jesus tells? Yeah, that, is, yeah, that would be good if you were ready. So where do we go then? Where do we go? John what? No, 
no, no. Thank you for playing. No, we're going to go to John 9. Why? <laughs> Why? Because you never just start somewhere. You've got to read backwards before you can read forwards. You've got to get the context. And what's the context leading into John 10? Here's the context. A man is blind. He's been blind since birth. And he, he encounters Jesus, and Jesus decides to heal him. So what does he do? He spits on the ground, forms little mud cakes, puts it on his eyes. Very gross, but incredibly powerful. The guy can see. Here's the problem. The problem is it's on the Sabbath. Not allowed to do good stuff on the Sabbath, apparently, according to the religious leaders. So an inquisition ensues. They first go to the parents of this man, and they're, and they're like, they're really kind of smart. They're like, hey, he's of age. He can answer for themselves, himself. So then they go to him, and he's got a lot of sass, and he's giving them business back. And he's like, I don't know. You guys don't seem like you're really all that smart if you're supposed to be the religious leaders. So he's throwing it back at them, and that leads us to verse 34. To this, the religious leaders replied to the man who was once blind and now can see, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. What was the scathing critique in Ezekiel? You did not go and find them. You treated them harshly and brutally. And they're left to defend for themselves. They are scattered. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him... What does a good shepherd do? When he found him, he said, do you believe in the what? Mmm, son of man. And the man goes, well, who is he, sir? And Jesus is like, well, I'm pretty much him. Great. And the next thing, it leads to this beautiful moment of the man giving his life to Jesus and literally worshiping him. And then Jesus goes on to say, here's the deal. There's plenty of people who are today blind, but then they'll see. But there are people today who see who will be blind. And the Pharisees, the religious elite, they're sitting around going, hmm, are you talking about us? Are we the ones who see now and you're gonna say that we're gonna be blind? And Jesus is like, pretty much, pretty much, I'm talking about you. And then John 10, 1 begins. Now you just gotta remember, in the Bible originally when it was written, no chapters, no verses, no, no par paragraph breaks, no parenthetical inserts, no chapter headings. It's just all one stream. We are often so um, disserved by those breaks because we, we think it's a whole different thing. It's not a different thing. Jesus just takes them to the mat and then he tells a story about sheep and shepherds that goes like this. We're gonna go 21 verses long. Follow with me. Very truly, Jesus says, I tell you, Pharisees, the very ones who are offended about thinking that they see, but they're gonna become blind, the very ones that kicked the man out of the synagogue that Jesus went and found, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Oh, could you imagine being one of the Pharisees sitting around? Whoo! The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. This is what the good shepherd does. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never, ever follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. <laughs> Therefore, Jesus gives it another shot. Very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. Pastor Troy did a beautiful job unpacking this. There's kind of this metaphor within the metaphor. All who have come before me are thieves 
and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in. This is beautiful. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief, and we'll come back to this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand, that's why, and cares nothing for the sheep. I, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, that's us, by the way. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is what we're doing with, with the one campaign, right? One, one flock, one shepherd all over the world. We're all reading this passage right here today. Thousands of us. How cool is that? One flock, one shepherd. The reason, Jesus says, my father loves me is that I lay down my life. Not only that, but I'll take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed. He is raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Do you see how the context is all there? Do you see how it's all one conversation? Right? What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, Ezekiel, Ezekiel heard right. He heard right. 600 years ago, when the, when the sovereign Lord spoke to him and said, son of man, hear my words, he, he heard right. All the prophecies, all the promises of hundreds of years before Jesus is saying, they are being found in me as the good shepherd. And I'm gonna distinguish between a bad shepherd and a good shepherd. But what Ezekiel heard, he heard right, and that's being fulfilled in me. Do you see the story being woven together? Isn't that cool? Isn't it just one of those things you just go, oh my gosh, I always wanna read backwards before I read forwards. I'm missing so much unless I do. Now, there's one more obstacle for us to fully understand this, and it's we have to get into the what scholars call the Sitzenleben, the situation in life of what was going on at that time, if you and I are gonna truly be able to process, I am the good shepherd, and who's shepherding you, and who's shepherding me, and it's this. That when Jesus talked about sheep and shepherds, the people of his day, they thought business enterprise, and we think petting zoo. Think about that. When you think about a sheep or shepherd, or you think of some new weird yoga, this is maybe what you think of, right? Like goat yoga, their sheep yoga, I don't know, right? But we don't think what they think with the metaphor that Jesus would invoke. Sheep were everywhere in that society. And they were an agrarian and what's called a pastoral society, which means a shepherding society. This was a business. This was a business enterprise. And in order to understand what Jesus is saying, let's unpack what it would have been like to have been a shepherd, to have owned a business in that day. All right? So let's just say we all were a community and we're gonna start a shepherding business. Are you in? Okay, what's the first thing that we need? 
No, I'm sorry, I keep, I, I don't mean to do this like ask question and then make you wrong thing. I, it's, it's not good. I'll stop with, with questions, I guess. No, we need a name. Don't you need a name, right? Okay, so um, here's the name. I love this name. Um, you want to play on like wool and wooly and all that stuff, right? So here's the name. We're going to call it. Woolé. Isn't that cool? It's, uh, I just, I don't know, it's kind of whimsy, but you get the wool thing, you get the, wool, the wooly thing, you know, and it's got that French kind of yo play kind of feel and everything. By the way, it's available on a domain. It's totally free. You can get it right here today. I'm just saying. It's really nice. Okay, so this is the name of our company. And um, I want to ask what's the first thing you need to, to start a company after you have a name. But I won't ask it. I'll just tell you, it's money. You need money, right? So you need investors. And in the time of Jesus, like when he would tell the story about the one sheep out of the 99, most likely the whole village had been an in investors in that, in that flock. So when Jesus came, or in the story when the shepherd came back and said, celebrate with me, why are they celebrating? Because they were all invested in the flock. So you need uh, your own kind of private equity firm, right? You need somebody to fund this thing. And then the next thing that you're gonna go do is you're gonna build your infrastructure or let's just say you're gonna scale, right? And you're gonna need to figure out, okay, what are the natural resources? What's the land that we're gonna graze? You're gonna probably establish some land use permits and you're going to uh, hire some people. You need a shepherd and Jesus says there's basically two kinds. There's one who's part of the owner ownership group that will serve as a shepherd or there's somebody you hired out called a hireling, right? So you need labor. Then, once you're set and ready, time to launch, with exception to, you need inventory. And what is your inventory? Yes, it is sheep. And let's just do a little breakdown. <laughs> I had to look this up. Uh, what's the female sheep? You got a you. that's right, that's right. Um, and then what's the male sheep? You got a ram, that's right. And then a, uh, a ewe and a ram get together and they make a what? Food, right? <laughs> they make a lamb, right? So just quick little uh, schooling there. It's good to know about your business, so it's good to do some market research, learn those things. Okay, so then, then you just you launch and you go into uh, what we'll just call the growth phase. This is everything with hopefully if you've selected good inventory, they're healthy, they're vibrant, they're fertile. Uh, you're going to multiply your flock. You also are going to tend to them. You're going to make sure they're well fed, they're well cared for. Talk to a friend of mine um, who, uh, who knows a bunch about this business and I asked him, his name is Matt. I said, I said Matt, when you, when you read John 10, what do you think of? He goes, oh, I think about a business all the time. He goes, and this is the most in, important. You're, you're timing the market here. You're, you're timing the breeding here. You're doing your growth rate plan here. Your profit margins, you win or lose here, he says. And he goes, actually, if you love on the animals, the, the meat will be more tender and flavorful. Everything here is really important. He says, if you have 100 sheep, well, from a profit perspective, let's say about 80 of those sheep cover your costs. 20 of those sheep, is um, that's your profit margin. You lose one or two or a handful, that's cutting deep into your, your margins. He said, so you gotta make sure they don't wander off. You gotta make sure they don't get sick. They don't infect the rest of the flock. They gotta be um, 
treated, a, you know, all sorts of things. Very, very important. So then from the growth phase, as you're doing that, then you're going to go to market. Now, when you go to market and you own sheep, that means typically two main things. One is you're going to get them sheared for what? For wool, for clothes. And you're going to slaughter them for what? For lamb chops, right? There's also a third, which is for curd. Um, typically in Jesus' day, that was more for their wool than for their food there. All right, so then you go to market. Hopefully you've timed it right. Hopefully uh, that's all worked out because then you've got profit. And with the profit, you're going to reinvest. You're going to pay off your debts for your inventory, for all of your scaling, for all of your growth. And there is the business cycle for Wu Lei. Who's in? All right, good. Now, why do we do this? As interesting as it may be, why do we do this? What is Jesus doing here? Why do we need to know this? The first thing I'll tell you that what Jesus is doing is he is deconstructing destructive religion. Just like Ezekiel was, Jesus is deconstructing destructive religion. I think it's important that we just name that because of where we find ourselves today. You might have a son or daughter who is deconstructing their faith. You might have, you'd be here today just going, all of these things, I don't know what to make sense of what anymore. You're going through a deconstructive phase. You might be online going, I don't even know if I can walk through the doors of a church. It's all I can barely do is just to still engage online because what you once thought you knew, you no longer knew. And why is this important? Because a lot of deconstruction happens when we are led by bad shepherds, by bad shepherds. And that's the critique that Jesus is bringing. What's the critique from Ezekiel? The critique of the bad shepherds in Ezekiel 34 is you're not doing the full business cycle so that the whole community wins. There's no profit sharing. You don't even take anything to market. Why? Because you keep it all for yourself. The other critique is you don't go after those who are sick. You don't bind up those who are hurt. You don't go after those who are lost. You have an unsustainable model. And it's all about you. And so many of us have experienced bad shepherding where it was all about them. And I just, here's all I want you to hear. That's a whole nother conversation, a whole nother series around deconstruction. It's really, um, it's really a, a hot topic in our culture today. But you just need to know, if you're in this place where it feels like a rattling underneath your feet, you need to know that Jesus was the master deconstructor. Jesus deconstructed just about everything. Bad theology, bad ideology, Bad shepherding. He deconstructed even what they understood family to be. He de deconstructed everything so that he could reconstruct our understanding of who God is at his very deep and beautiful heart. And so if you're in a place just feeling like, man, everything, I just don't know what to hold on to. Hold on to Jesus and join him in the deconstruction. 
A lot more we can say about that, but I think it's a really important point to mark here in this moment. That Jesus, if we let him, if you deconstruct on your own, dead end. It really will be. But if you just fix your eyes on Jesus, let him do the deconstructing for you, freedom and life. What else is Jesus doing here? In John chapter 10, what is he doing? He is subverting this entire business model. He's separating out the bad shepherds from what he's describing himself as the good shepherd. What does a typical shepherd do? Typical shepherd walks through this process. You get sheep, you grow them up, you get them sheared, you get them slaughtered, you take a profit, you reinvest, you pay off your debts. That's what a typical sheep does. What is Jesus saying he will do as the good shepherd who lays down his life? He's saying, I will take myself to market. I am the one who will be sheared on your behalf. I am the one who will be slaughtered on your behalf and I won't even say a word. And actually, we go back another 600 years to the prophet Isaiah, to Isaiah 53. And look at this with me. This is stunning. What does he say about the coming Messiah? What does he say? We all, you and me, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us, turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, this Messiah, this rescuer. Now we would say, this Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. So he did not open his mouth. Jesus subverts the entire business model and he does what no other shepherd, bad or decent, would do. He says, I'll take myself to market. The Apostle Paul says, look, the wages, talking about transaction and economy, the wages of our sin, of being like sheep and all being led astray, is death. We all deserve to go to the market. But Jesus says, I'll go for you. That's what he means by good. I'm a good shepherd. I'm actually, I think we'd put it this way. I'm that good. I'm unlike any other shepherd that you've ever known. The bad shepherds, they'll take from you. They'll prey upon your vulnerabilities. They'll scatter when things get rough. They'll set you up and then they'll laugh when you fall. And we all have shepherds like that in our life could be a relationship that you know is destructive. You need to deconstruct that relationship. By the way, if it's in the confines of marriage, there's beautiful reconstruction ahead. But you might need to deconstruct some patterns. Could be influences, could be your newsfeed, could be your ideology. Jesus wants to deconstruct it all as the good shepherd. He wants to say, look, I know others will prey upon your vulnerabilities. I'm gonna protect you. I know that... Others will scatter when things get hard. I will stand post with my slingshot in hand and there are no tongs that will ever get out what I can fire. Bad shepherds will leave you constantly agitated and insecure. A good shepherd will ground you and lead you in and out, as Jesus says. A good shepherd who says, I know you by name. 
I know, like every hair on your head. And you're gonna know my voice increasingly. When you hear my voice, apart from every other voice, you'll follow because you know when you follow me, you'll find life, you'll find pasture, you'll find freedom. And so who's shepherding you, really? Really, who's shepherding you? Because the final part of this little segment of the story is Jesus says, I laid down my life But he also says, and I've been given authority to take it back, to take it back. Means he went to market, but now he's transcended everything as our risen Lord. And that's what we call Easter. That's what we call Resurrection Sunday. That's what we're preparing our hearts for. The one that says, I'll lay my life down, I'll go to market for you, but then I'll actually take my life back so that you can have that abundant life in me. And by the way, I totally forgot to say this. So forgive me, but I, I wanna ask the question. When, when Jesus says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to, to give you life, who's the thief? Who's the thief? We all traditionally have said that's Satan, right? Well, I certainly Satan, uh, believe he could be behind it. I believe that there is a Satan, an enemy of God, but that's not what I see in this passage. Who's the thief in this passage? It's the bad shepherds. It's the religious leaders. That's been the whole critique along. And I just wonder if the bad shepherd in your life has been killing, stealing, and destroying that sweet, rich life for you. And so, we're gearing up for Easter Sunday. A few, a few quick kind of housekeeping things. One is, are you coming? Are you coming? All right, online, great. Two, who are you gonna bring? Who are you gonna bring that they have been shepherdly poorly? They have been treated harshly, brutally. They have been scattered and left vulnerable. Who in your life and in your relationships are you just gonna give them a simple ask, say, come with me and meet the good shepherd? Who's that? Be marking that, be giving them invitation. You can go online and and learn about our services and times and all of those things. Secondly, we need you to kind of help shepherd with us. Let's be shepherds. We need volunteers, so sign up on any one of those service times. And lastly, both today and on that day, we're gonna have the water open for anyone who just says, I've been shepherded so poorly and I'm ready to, to give my life to the good shepherd and I want everyone to know and so I'm gonna go into the waters and I'm gonna go down and I'm gonna say away and done with my old life and all the bad shepherding. I'm gonna come up out of the waters saying I am walking in new life with the good shepherd. And, and, and if you haven't done that, maybe you've given yourself to, to, to Jesus, but you've never made it public, you've never locked arms with your community, I'd say, why wait? Like, do it now. Leave like wet marks. Like, make us trip as we're trying to walk to our, our cars because it's slippery because you went in the water and made a mess and you came out alive. Who's up for that? So you can sign up and, and be a part of the Easter baptism or you can do it right now. I just say, don't wait because it hurts, it hurts to be under bad shepherding. And that's no way to live. In Jesus' name, if you're able, stand and let's sing, amen.